I'm one of HRN's interns, Nina Medvinskaya, with a preview of the next episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week's topic, the marriage of food and danger. Sometimes, danger lurks in the food that we eat. So instead of saying what is poisonous, I'd rather say what's not, because it's literally just the flesh and the fins. Food poisoning doesn't just threaten our bodies, but it endangers our environment as well. The emissions of JBS, combined with the other top five meat companies, exceed the annual emissions of Exxon, Shell, or BP. For more, tune into this week's Meat and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, if you can't tell from that awesome sound effect. And somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson. Thank you, Matt Patterson. That's our engineer, Matt Patterson. I'm also here with my co-hosts, Katie and Hannah. What up, Kat? Happy Thursday. We are so happy it's Thursday today. Can you tell? This is like happier than we normally are. And I only realized it was Thursday like maybe 20 minutes ago. So (laughs) when I handed Hannah the script, she was like, wait, it's Thursday. (laughs) It's fine, though. We're very prepared. Shout out to Kevin Wheeler, our intern, who writes our scripts most every week. He keeps us organized. I really don't know what we would do without him. And he's graduating from CUNY School of Journalism today. So, oh, wow. Or tomorrow. Ariana no, tomorrow. 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 Congratulations, yes. you guys. You're Yay. Amazing. amazing. We have the best interns Seriously, ever. Seriously, we have the most so overqualified and wonderful interns that we could ever wish to have. Yes. Um, okay, so our guests today, we're very, very excited to have them. We have two guests in the studio. Um, first up, we have an Emmy award-winning food journalist and producer, Kat Neville. Welcome. Thank you very much. And we also have um, one of the co-founders from Sunday Beer Company, which is based here in Brooklyn, Eric Schultz. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, we are going to have a very fun and beer-fueled Thanks to Eric. Beer fueled conversation. <laughs> very soon. This is delicious, by the way. It is. Yeah. Wait, you do you guys quick- have delicious beers in there? Come get one. <laughs> what am I doing in here? Come over. Eric, do you want to quickly tell us about what we are drinking? Yeah. Uh, this is Sunday beer. Um, it's kind of our take on, uh, call it a, a macro lager, but kind of a done with craft ingredients, craft processes. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, we call it a, a light craft lager, session craft lager, something like that. So it's it's only 3.9% ABV, so very drinkable, crushable. light, crisp, yeah. crushable, crushable, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think this might have to be my beach beer mm-hmm. of 2019. Yeah. This is really refreshing. It's also gonna be my new favorite shower beer, I think. <laughs> yes, so, this is made so, for shower beer. This is beer. so delicious. <laughs> yes. I, my mom was visiting the uh, for our gala the other week, and I was just like, it was like my last like night before the gala, and I was just like, oh God. And I had just like also just had been really busy, and it was like the shower was a long time coming, and I had a shower beer, and my mom was like, oh, what? <laughs> I was like, come on. 
yes. The Your mom had never heard of shower beer. <laughs> no, I had to, also had to teach my mom about like pre gaming like years ago, and she gets really into these things. Like now she's like she has her neighbors over to like pre game for like going to the other neighbor's house, and it's really you cute. can pre game video. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> starting a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, we have uh, just a few announcements before we get started. Uh, I'm going to hand it over to Hannah for our end of year appeal because it's appealing. Yeah, I'm here to make a very appealing appeal to you guys. Um, so as most of you know, if you're listening, Heritage Radio Network is a member-supported nonprofit. So that means that all of the amazing things that come into your ears from Heritage Radio Network are made possible thanks to our amazing sponsors and partners and businesses who support us, but most importantly, support from listeners like all of you. Um, and right now is the most important time of the year for you to become a member and show your support of HRN. Um, next year, we all week we've been getting more and more excited for 2019. It's our 10th year making food radio, and we have so many exciting programs and events coming up. And guess what? It costs a lot of money to make cool things happen. So... <laughs> We need your help to make sure that 2019, our 10th year, is going to be the best year ever. So you can go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. And no matter how much you're able to give, every single cent goes towards making food radio and throwing amazing events and covering all of the important events and conferences and conversations that are happening in the food space. So yeah, become a member today. We'll really, really appreciate it. Again, you can go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Awesome. And speaking of events and fun parties, uh, we want to give a shout out to our friends at Patina Events. Again, they were our partner for our gala, our Winter in the Garden Gala. So if you saw us at the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe and the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, these are the people who make all of those events possible, and they're absolutely amazing. You should go to their New Year's Eve party. It's going to be a cocktail-style dinner with a chef station and a DJ from 7 to 10, and the party, uh, like party, party part starts at 10. It's going to go till 1 a.m. So you can ring in the new year, open bar all night, free hors d'oeuvres, champagne toast. And uh, you can get your tickets at patinaevents.com. Don't forget your formal cocktail attire. Get fancy. And it's such a fancy room. And it would be such a good time. You need to be there for the new year. Uh, it's a glass like birdcage greenhouse magical dream so uh stand there in your fancy outfits and drink champagne it's gonna be fun don't fight crowds on new year's eve no one wants yeah. to do that so you, you, uh, your other choice is you could put on a diaper and go stand in <laughs> corral in Times square so you went there you choose <laughs> oh man you could, could not catch me in Times Square. Um, uh, the last event we want to point out, um, speaking of the new year, we have some exciting things happening in January. Um, the Brooklyn Podcast Festival is coming back, and both The Farm Report and Andrew Talks to Chefs are going to tape live episodes um, during that festival. Uh, Lisa Held will do The Farm Report from Camp David as part of the Smart Cities um, event series. She's going to speak to pioneers in urban ag and about growing the infrastructure needed to have more food grown in cities on rooftops and barges and warehouses and shipping containers like the one we're in. Um, she's going to discuss the potential economic, environmental, health, and community benefits of urban ag, the biggest challenges to growing food in urban environments, and what the present and future look like in terms of scale, technology, and potential. Also, Andrew Talks to Chefs is going to be doing a deep dive interview with Tom Colicchio at the Bell House. 
and it's going to be followed by a chef panel discussion about um, Brooklyn past, present, future. And the panel will include Greg Backstrom of Olmstead, Alan Harding of the Gowanus Yacht Club, and Alex Raj of Lavara and St. Julivert. And uh, yeah, so that's so going to be that was St. Julivert was in the news yesterday. Yeah, yeah I believe for so. Ryan Sutton's top uh, restaurants of the year. Nice. Or it's not in the Adam Platt list too. I think now I'm just I might be getting confused. It's really good restaurant. It's you everyone go says there. it. Yeah, eat fish. Um, <laughs> it's it's very cute. He has like uh, Andrew came up with like nicknames for the three of those panelists and like Alex Raj. He's like the commuter because she has a restaurant in Manhattan and Brooklyn now. Um, so that's going to be super exciting. The only downside, guys, they're happening at the exact same time in different places. You must choose. <laughs> um, so, but you can listen after. Of course, we're gonna we're gonna have them available for you to listen to. If you want more information on those two live podcast events, go to cityfarmpresents.com slash bkpodfest for info and for tickets. Okay, now we have a few headlines. We're gonna read. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so on this week's episode of Modernist Breadcrumbs, we are exploring holiday breads and the traditions that bring us back to them. Yum. Um, So year after year, Michael Harlan... No, excuse me. Can't read. Michael Harlan Drakel talks stolen with Brian Hart Hoffman, who is just one of our favorite people on the planet. Yes. um, Who is of... Bake from Scratch magazine, which was featured in our gift bags at our gala. It's amazing. There are too many cookies in there so that I want to make. Um, and they also talk hollow with ah. Mike Zaro of Zaro's Bakery and Pandoro versus Panettone with Italian baker Luigi Biasetto. And having sampled both of those things made by <laughs> Luigi, I couldn't possibly pick. I would rather die. They're both delicious. Um, the co-authors of Modernist Bread, Nathan Mirvold and Francisco Magoya, also appear to help figure out what the holiday hoopla is all about. Is it just nostalgia or something deeper? So check that out. And uh, Michael's a busy guy this week because he also had a really stellar episode of the food scene. It features uh, quite a heavyweight in the world of New Nordic cooking, Rene Red Zeppi. He's the uh, chef owner of Noma, which is one of the restaurants that really helped pioneer New Nordic cuisine. And so um, Red Zeppi was on this week's episode with Noma's head of fermentation, David Zilber, and they talked all about fermentation and modern cooking because they just released a new book called The Noma Guide to Fermentation. So check this out. You can learn about all kinds of fermentation, kombucha, vinegar, miso, everything you could possibly want to know um, with Michael. So Michael, thank you for helping us nerd out in so many different directions this week on HR and you are just absolutely amazing. Uh, and we have one more headline for you. On this week's episode of Eating Matters, generally delves into the world of food safety, a hot topic these days. In light of recent outbreaks in foodborne illnesses, is it safe to eat romaine again? What about Ginny O's ground turkey? Jean Halloran joins the show to discuss the fight against outbreaks in our food system. She is the director of food initiatives at Consumer Reports. Be careful what you eat. Mm. Yes. All right. So, Kat, I want to start with you. Okay. Tell us about the new season of Tastemakers that just came out. So, Tastemakers explores the maker movement. And I've been covering food, local and regional food, for about 20 years. And in that time, I've really just seen kind of the American food system 
just evolve. And now, you know, people are thinking beyond kind of farm to table. They're really, you know, like when they're going to a restaurant, for example, or going to a farmer's market, they really are looking for products that are also made with local ingredients that have ties to local communities. And so that's really what this series is about. Um, Every episode is featuring a different type of product. In Chicago, we did tofu. In Georgia, we did artisan oils. Um, Here in New York, we actually did escargot on the North Fork of Long Island. And um, so, you know, each episode explores a different product and then it layers in voices, not just of the maker, but chefs and people who supply them and the people who are part of their community. I, I have to just check. It was the was it Clay Farm that, that you did the oil? Yes. Yeah, I, we love Clay Oliver. Everybody loves Clay oh my Oliver. God. How can it, you not? I mean, you've probably seen the photos of him on our website where he's wearing a powder blue tuxedo at the Good Food Awards. Or just he's like, amazing, amazing, sweet. Well, and his guy. products are incredible. I yeah. mean, and when when we went out there to shoot, we actually drove back and forth in front of um, of his farm, of his production facility, probably five or ten times because we couldn't figure out where it was. We're in the middle of rural Georgia and it was this teeny tiny blue building just right off the road. But um, he and his wife Val, they do, they just do incredible stuff. Have you had the okra seed oil? Yes. You have? I have. It's amazing. I basically, whenever I'm in the same place as as Clay, I'm like, sneak me some oil. He gives me the little (laughs) bottles. So I've got some, I think I have some okra seed oil at the office actually. Is I'll throw it on like vegetables and stuff. I'm like hoarding my last little yeah. bit of pecan oil. That's like Clay's going to so be delicious. thrilled to hear that. Oh yeah, I, it's good stuff. Yeah, I, I, I interviewed I interviewed Clay a little bit about the okra seed oil, and I was like, "Tell me about this. This is crazy." Being from Alabama, I never really liked okra growing up, mm-hmm. but I really liked the oil. And I was like, "What do you do with all of the rest of the okra when you're using the seed?" And he was like, "Well." The thing is, you can't feed it to cows because it's like birth control for cows in large oh. quantities. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Fun fact. What? Interesting. Good to know. Classic birth control mistake. for cows. <laughs> yeah. Does All it right. work for people? Well, that's, that's really the question, right? Yeah, I'm like, you might money. be onto something, Clay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah you so heard it here first. That's right. <laughs> heard it yeah. Clay, yeah. I'm just like giving Clay like more. <laughs> Um, now I have to put some sort of medical disclaimer on this show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so how do you, I feel like oils and, and certain specialty foods are mm-hmm. very accessible. People know about them. But escargot is maybe something that people aren't necessarily eating every day. So how do you decide what products you're going to focus on? So I wanted some things to be very recognizable. And like we do beer, we have biodynamic wine, things that are very, you know, everyday foods. But then we also, um, I wanted to make sure that not only were we connecting people with the idea that they could eat this way on an everyday basis, but also open their eyes to some of the stuff that's out there that maybe they never had had before. One of them being escargot. Another um, that was a real adventure is we went to uh, Texas Hill Country, and we there is a company there called Broken Arrow Ranch, and they have a mobile processing unit. And one of the reasons why you don't see a lot of wild game on menus is that there are just so many regulations involved in getting wild game to, you know, through the commercial process. And so what they do at Broken Arrow Ranch is they... Um, They go out onto Texas ranches. They bring a state-licensed inspector with them, and they harvest the animals in the field. They process them on site 
with the inspector. And so, so those are the kinds of stories that I'm really kind of looking for where you kind of go, oh, wow, I didn't even know that that was happening, you know, and having, um, having covered food for as long as I have, you know, when I, the way that I kind of, my litmus test is if I'm really fascinated by it, having told a lot of these stories over my career, then I think that the audience will be fascinated by it too. Definitely. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. I makes a lot of sense once you say it, but like who would have thought like, yeah, there's a better way to try to process wild game. Well, and it's, you know, so everybody's worried about and, and justifiably so, you know, the, um, just the way that we treat our animals that we're consuming if we choose to consume meat. And with these animals, they live their entire lives in the wild. Totally. Completely. And so um, it was, I mean, there are definitely some adventures. I rode in the back of a pickup truck in the hill country of Texas with a bunch of dead elk and it was... That was definitely interesting. <laughs> Just another day at the office. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no joke. Um, so, Eric, let's talk a little bit about Sunday Beer Company. Um, why did you decide to start a beer company here in Brooklyn? I mean, it's there's definitely like a lot of beer here, but you know, why did yeah. you decide this is going to be the the project you take on? Yeah, I actually think maybe like months before we started this, we my. Uh, one of my co-founders and I said, oh, we'd never start a beer company today. Like, there's, <laughs> there's one goes up every day. But um, yeah, so there's three co-founders. Um, one of my buddies, Sean, uh, we grew up together. Um, and the third co-founder, who's kind of the, the true beer expertise, uh, we met living in New York. Um, but yeah, the, the, it kind of really started with this idea of I mean, we grew up, we were going to college kind of in the mid-2000s in San Diego, which is kind of the beer mecca of the second wave of craft beer. Um, so we kind of always say, like, when people are drinking, like, Natty Light or something at their college, <laughs> like, we had kegs of Arrogant Bastard, like, with stone. <laughs> um, so we just had, like, that was just kind of our experience with beer was kind of indoctrined um, in kind of the whole craft movement. Um, after college, we set out and did kind of totally different things. Um and kind of came back with still just this fascination um, in beer and just kind of felt like there was something missing, like the, the seriousness of craft beer had kind of really taken hold, mm -hmm. um, and which is great because it's brought us so many amazing options. But at the same time, we just found ourselves wanting to drink, drink something kind of light, easygoing, uh, but still kind of had those elements, kind of the ethos of craft beer, like a, a small independent company, locally made, all of that stuff that people are attracted to about craft. Um, and we just couldn't really find something like it in the market. Um, and we ended up meeting, uh, who is now our brewer, Drew Bombard, um, who he's worked in craft his, his whole career uh, with uh, the likes of New Belgium. Um, and, you know, a legit microbiologist, like the guy is, you know, as legit as it gets for beer, but we kind of threw out this idea that we that had just been kept kind of bugging us um and he just like latched onto it immediately was like yeah like this is this is something that that is missing in the scene and, and particularly new york um i mean craft beer is definitely a crowded market but um there's definitely a lot of space in new york and and especially for something like this something that's kind of like the a little bit of a, a go between between the the hardcore craft guys and people who just uh, appreciate kind of a, a well-made product um, so yeah, it really started with just a little bit of an audience of one type thing, something that we wanted to drink, um, and just kind of ran it down from there. Yeah. yeah. Cause I feel like, especially now there's like a big sour push and wild ales yeah. and like really 
can fatigue your palate when you're drinking a lot of that. So was that like, was that from the get go, like the inspiration, like we want to go the other way, yeah, make something yes. that you can drink yeah. several of? I- exactly. Absolutely. I mean, it's still like, we're still going after that. My typical drinking pattern is I'll go either I'll start with like a big double IPA or something like that. But the reality is you kind of just have one of those. And I don't, as you get older, you're like, you can only have so many 8% beers uh, before uh, the night ends too yeah, soon. Yourself. Yeah, well, yeah, you're right, you're right. I'm just a lightweight, actually. Um, yeah, so I think it's it's a bit of that. It's like the palate fatigue that comes with a lot of those beers. And they're great. There's so many amazing things happening in beer, especially with the whole spontaneous fermentation movement. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's just something about having like a classic lager um, and something that's well-made, light, easy to drink that we just love. And we just kind of found ourselves going back to like the big guys, going back to the macros or imports to do it. And so we just kind of felt like, yeah, craft should have some representation uh, in this game. Uh, yeah. So I know that with some, like especially small craft breweries that are trying to do really unusual and like kind of boundary pushing beers that consistency can sometimes be a big challenge. And because this beer is so, you know, light and drinkable was having consistency across your batches ever a challenge. Um, yeah, I mean, you'll, you know, I don't know how many times the public would ever notice. I mean, we're, we obviously taste and test every, every single batch. Um, I can always pick up like little things, but they're so minor, but I mean, that is, you know, we've never had like a a real issue as far as like, uh, quality is concerned, but yeah, it's, you can't really hide anything with a, with a lager. It's so clean. Um, it really is kind of a, a brewer's beer because, uh, it, yeah, like you said, it kind of shows all, all faults. So, um, yeah, it's all, it's always a challenge, uh, for sure. But, uh, we, we just kind of stay on top of it and that's what, uh, our brewer is kind of, his thing is quality as a microbiologist. So, totally, yeah. so that's definitely like, uh, his specialty, but the big brewers are like achieving that consistency by blending a lot of different batches. So the fact that you're doing yeah. this on a craft scale is actually pretty impressive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We, yeah Matt's definitely. a beer guy. <laughs> you can't tell. Right on that. Also Fact. from San Diego. Well, the beer part. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, cause this is a lager. I was doing a little bit of research for trivia. That's a little bit of a hint of what's coming, mm. but I, St. Louis is kind of the entry point of lager. Yes, that's true. From the old world. Um, Kat, do you think there's an interest in St. Louis right now for these types of craft beers? Or is there still a big movement for like big IPAs, sour beers? No, well, I think the sours are definitely, you know, still trending. But I agree with you. I think that a lot of folks... um, I mean, that's how trends work, right? You you kind of, you drink through something and you're like, okay, I'm kind of done with that. Let's see what else is out there. And I yeah. think that there's a there's a lot of challenge in brewing a lager to exactly your point. It's, it's something where you can't hide any faults. And so I think a lot of guys in beer are looking to that to kind of prove what they're capable of doing. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like a beer nerd kind of a thing to do. Um, and also, like you're saying, you know, when it's hot and you're mowing the lawn or you want to drink a beer in the shower. I mean, this is the kind of beer that (laughs) you can kind of sit and go back to. Um, I actually, are you familiar with the company Omega Yeast? 
Have you ever Omega heard of Omega yeast? yeast? No, you should look right. them up. Okay. They're based in Chicago, and they um, propagate a lot of different, really unique strains mm. of yeast. And yeah, they they have both ale and yager, lager yeasts yeah, available. Yeah. Is so. it kind of like, a, are you familiar with White Labs? Yeah. They got, okay, yeah. Is mm -hmm. it similar? Yeah, idea? it's similar. Oh, yeah. Nice. They have Very a Lithuanian... Cool farmhouse oh, strain that you okay. guys should look into. All right. Ooh, that sounds Very fancy. Cool. It is. <laughs> it's not, except, you know, here's what's interesting is that the Lithuanian farmhouse, the, it's actually a, a woman brewer who was in like her 60s, 70s, who's like super famous over there. And they were like, we've got to capture the essence of her beer by, get, by capturing her yeast. So they've that. brought it over. And That's now cool. in Chicago, they're brewing raw ales where you mm. don't boil the wort and they're using this particular yeast wow. i know it's really that is whoa. some wild stuff this also wild. gets me excited because i used to genetically engineer yeast for my did you everyone's interested for their own unique reasons uh -huh. yeah. me just because i like yeast. to drink beer um that's so, the best reason yes so st yeah. louis is obviously macro beer capital historic yeah. beer yes. city um Brooklyn obviously is becoming more crowded by the day with exciting new brewers. San Diego is yep. big. Um, I'm curious, kind of both of you, are there any places, any other cities other than those right now that you're excited to drink beer in? Oh, hmm. good question. You know, I, I've been doing this year. I, I mean, we, the 13 episodes, we had 13 locations. And, um, you know, in every single place, there are craft breweries that kind of reflect yeah. whatever is going on in that particular city. There, um, where do we fly into? We flew into, um, I would think it was Raleigh, Durham. And oh, yeah, they got a lot going on there. I, and I can't remember the name of the brewery. It's like Brew Havana or. Yeah, Brewery That's Bovana. my cousin's favorite brewery. It's an amazing, I mean, yeah. it's an amazing. Number one, it's they got have the like. Dim sum restaurant. Exactly. Yeah. It's like dim sum on, yeah. on the menu. <laughs> yeah. But the, the beers are just, they're really, they're heavy on the botanical side. And it's mm. uh, very kind of floral and herbal and yeah. really nice, nice beers that aren't heavy on the either sour or, um, or bitterness, but yeah. they really kind of use botanicals, which I think is cool. Yeah. Yeah, that that's at the top of my list to get to. I've I've heard really good things. Um, yeah, I'm man everywhere. Like kind of like you said, there's just there's great breweries kind of popping up everywhere. I mean, I actually think the Northeast, New York, kind of in particular, is just there is really exciting stuff. It's been an underserved market for kind of a while. So the people um, stuff that's kind of popping up in in the Hudson Valley, kind of like Hudson Valley Brewery specifically, and yeah. um, uh, you got Suarez family. There's there's just a lot of really cool stuff. Um, I've been pretty fascinated too with this idea of of terroir, um, especially it happens with kind of like the wild fermentation um, because you kind of <clears throat> you get to this point where anybody can make a, a New England style IPA. You can have been drinking one in San Diego or or out here, but uh, just kind of like wine um, in that same way when when all these styles kind of uh, proliferate. It becomes a little more interesting when people you're really pulling from stuff that's happening like in a specific region. Mm -hmm. um, and New York is kind of, I feel like um, from a national level, maybe doesn't get that sort of attention like in the in the Hudson Valley. But after living out here for for 10 years or so, you kind of I feel like I'm waking up to that a little bit. And there's some seems like a lot of tension is going up there. Some well, cool stuff. I think it's also because it's new. I'm from the Hudson Valley. Oh, and okay. like <laughs> I know. I'm just like the way that the state laws have shifted and how yes, like agriculture yep. and brewing have kind of like 
grown back together because there was a total lull in yes. grain production and also in like brewing and distilling. So yeah, it's amazing. I'm really excited by like the renaissance that's happening. Yeah, there. yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean that's the big, legislation kind of moves a lot of yeah. this stuff forward, and so New York's getting on top of that, and yeah, they're making it making it easier to do, and you're seeing that. Speaking of legislation changing, uh, hemp's going to be a big thing, mm-hmm. and maybe even soon, all cannabis. And I was reading an article today about how there's a St. Louis brewery. I don't remember which one it was, but they're starting to put CBD. They're trying to brew with CBD. Is that a trend? Is that something that will stay? Yeah, I saw Long Trail tried to do a CBD beer or did a CBD beer. Does it taste like much of anything, though? Um, yeah, there's yeah, right. I mean, the yeah. the fascination I think is that like the hop and uh, yeah. hemp are from the same family, yeah, right. I guess. So there's there's a little bit of that that crossover. I think it's also just kind of cool. It's and, cool. Yeah, yeah exactly. edgy. I get. Yeah, yeah it's right. like now you're getting really like terroir or anything like and super it, tangible from that. Is it Four Hands that's making that beer? Yeah, I believe it was. Is it Four Hands? That's actually right down the alley from my house. Well, you can go yeah. try it. I will. I will. I'll be like, hey, guys. <laughs> Just talking about Give me about one you. of those pep-infused beers. But yeah, I mean, are you guys going to play with anything like that? I, I don't think so. Well, I mean, the last ruling I heard actually is the TTB ruled against it. Um, so That's that, so Which is the federal uh, like body of that. I think it was in the farm that. bill that now it's like hemp is... Because they were, they were doing like a certain number of permits yeah. but now it's mm-hmm. going to be more open potentially change their mind now that hemp is actually legal yeah. across the country this yeah. is right. yeah. it'll take time yeah fair yeah i'm that's not i mean that's that's just not the vision of sunday so mm-hmm. so probably not we're kind of you know stick to pretty classic uh kind of straightforward stuff but just well done um but yeah it's fascinating i mm-hmm. guess um yeah, I don't. I don't know enough about it to be honest. But yeah, I just really wonder how long it will stay edgy because exactly. we have so yeah. many states now where THC is legalized. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's still very much like in Brooklyn. It's CBD everything, and people are so fascinated because it does feel like a little risque. Sure. And uh, I just don't know how long that can kind of continue while you can just like drive few states over and i mean pretty soon like you can just go to new jersey (laughs) (laughs) get the real deal so yeah well and also that the novelty is going to wear off because all of the big beer brands are have it in development like it's it's no longer going to be a niche right yeah like i i forget like being and release in canada i think that um, that's right uh, I can't remember which company. One of the big, like, huge beer companies is releasing, like, a CBD beer in, in Canada, I think, next year. And I feel like the, the shine is going to wear off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am from California, but, like, when I go home, my grandma's taking CBD. And, like, my, <laughs> and my mom. So, like, I think the edginess is gone. Like, yeah. maybe that's a, just a, a coast thing. But. So, uh, <laughs> I hope, uh, you know. They can start pre-gaming. Bushwick, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell, them, I'll tell them about that next. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shower beer. Shower beer. Shower, 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 shower CBD beer. I was about to ask, what beer does your grandma drink in the shower? <laughs> Sunday, of course. Sunday. Of course. Yeah. Uh, well, let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll come back with more with Kat and Eric. And then, as always, some trivia. Be right back. Get ready.
name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. No, thank you, Roberta's. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that along with the ad because I'm pretty sure I've got it memorized. I, I think I do, Can too. Can you just do it? Can you be branded? Do it! Uh, Can you do it right now? No, you can't. You can't. Do it, do it, do it. I'll be the music. (laughs) Oh, man. It's just so much every week. But the good thing is that it's short. It's not like a full minute. And I'm like, that's... It's quality over quantity. It's the most bang for your buck in any of our ads. There you go. There you go. Um, It's so much bang. So we're here with Kat Neville and Eric Schultz. Kat is um, with the show Tastemakers. It's on PBS. And Eric is with Sunday Beer Company here in Brooklyn. Um, Kat, we kind of mentioned it, but you did a show this season about escargot. Yes. And I want to get more into that. Okay. Because escargot is, again, not something that people eat on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. It is delicious if you can find it. But most of it comes from outside of the country but this is a you went to a, a snail farm essentially in long island what was that like it was very cool so um so yes most if not all except for what's coming out of um the north fork of long island is imported and it's either frozen or in a can and um the way so i'm, I'm not going to get too into the weeds but essentially tyler um at peconic escargot is hand raising um, almost a hundred thousand snails in a three hundred square foot greenhouse, um, and he feeds them foraged greens and uh, like carrots, and they also eat dirt because the calcium and all the minerals and stuff huh. in the soil help build their uh, their shells. But they're just these really cool. They're the pedigree snails, and they take about nine months to come to maturity. They're born with their shells on. And what's kind of cool about these snails is they're um, they're all hermaphrodites. <laughs> and so when one snail decides that it's ready to mate with another snail, it actually spears its intended with a love dart. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Ow. It's about right. <laughs> and and it's about a quarter of an inch long. And that doesn't have anything to do with the mating <laughs> process. It's more just kind of like a signal. Yeah, it is foreplay. It's snail foreplay. Oh, that's not how they like no. inject. Oh. It is snail oh. foreplay. I learned so many things wow. on this shoot. Do, do they like it? Well, they must. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Ask them. <laughs> yeah, ask the snails if they like it. Um, and then like the the eggs incubate for a week or two, and then the eggs come out of like this shoulder area by the almost by their head. It's a really how it's bizarre. A, it's a crazy process. They're really interesting. Um, I just have to make a confession which is yeah. that I really I like every kind of food and I would like try anything I just I have like a few things that kind of creep me out just in life and and worms and snails and well not snails but slugs yeah really scare me and I um I have eaten escargot but it's the only food that I'm like really super squeamish about kind of weirded out I'm by I'm super wigged out so I like hearing like what they eat because I'm like oh that that I can like it behind that mm-hmm. um, but it, it did give me more squeamishness when we talked about them being canned <laughs> yeah um, yeah I want the Long Island like ones. whoa yeah. for sure um, so I guess I don't know if this is really a question but like what else can I know about these snails that like if I see these North Fork snails yes pedigree snails that will help me be a little less squeamish. That'll make well. You more don't appetizing. want to know that they have millions of teeth. Really, I don't, I don't know if that helps or hurts. It does help take away from the slimy, like squishiness a little bit. Yeah. To be like, oh, 
maybe they're okay. a really well, they're a really interesting protein and they've been eaten the reason why so these are non-native they're actually an invasive species which is why it's you don't see a lot of farming yeah. of snails um, um, Tyler went through a lot um, in order to be able to open up this is the first USDA certified snail farm in the country wow and he had to go through quite a bit in order to get that certification because they are invasive. And essentially, they're, um, they're eaten prolifically in like Italy and Spain and mm -hmm. France. And so when people from that part of Europe came and settled here, they brought snails with them. They don't take up a lot of room. They're easy to, you know, to grow. And, um, and so if you go out into California, it's so funny. We were shooting in San Diego, and I saw all these snails in this, um, in this citrus grove. Turns out it's the same snail, mm. same, you know, type of snail that is being grown here in New York. Um, but out there, I mean, it's a true pest. I mean, they, they're, dam are they damaging, they're damaging the, the trees. Yeah. So, they're an so anyway, so that's, that particular breed is not native to the U.S., mm. but that is a breed that it's tasty and it's it's the right size for cooking in a restaurant. And you can get it. I'm sure you guys know of Frenchette. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's on the menu at Frenchette. Um, M. Wells Steakhouse in uh, Long Island City. They have it on the menu there. Do you know if Uncle Boone's had them? Because I've had no. Escargo Uncle Boone's, and I would guess that it, that might have been good. If you reach I out would, to Peconic, I would eat literally you. anything from Uncle Boone's. I yeah. don't care. That's why <laughs> it could be a worm, and I would probably that's eat the first. It. That's the first and only time I've <laughs> had them, and I was like, everything here is going to be good. This is the place I'm going to try them for the first time. And yeah. it was delicious yeah they're they're super cool animals and just um just the way that they uh i don't know just if you see the episode um it's actually up online you can go to pbs.org you'll find it there it's on wnye we're also on um about to launch on new jersey public television um here we're across the country but here locally that's where you're gonna be able to find it check your listings because every yes. market's different every it's pbs every market is different some started airing it in october some aren't starting until the you know until spring so that's just the way that that works. But yes. yeah, we're in um, about 85%. We have clearance across the country. So wow. we're all over the place. Amazing. Awesome. I know, it's awesome. so cool. Um, Eric, my last question for you, going back to the yes. can, mm -hmm. there's a little 1% uh, logo on the side. Can you talk, tell us what that is about? Yeah, um, it's basically just kind of like a certification that we give 1% uh, of our revenues uh, away to kind of environmental causes. Um, Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, you know, Thank there's you. just there's always things in the supply chain uh, that you almost can't really make up for, maybe that you're not responsible for, um, and so this is kind of our way of uh, of being responsible. Um, yeah. And where can um, folks find Sunday Beer? Um, well, you can go to our website sundaybeer.co, and we have kind of a, a, a venue finder. But we're in some Whole Foods. Um, we're around the city bunch of different bars and restaurants um only but, in cans are you guys in bottles uh no we cans and kegs okay yeah. cans and kegs yeah can you order cans off the off of your yeah, website yeah well yeah you can there's a link through it if it's uh it's actually taproom taprm.com mm -hmm. um you can order it uh directly to you so that's probably the best way to do it do yes it. you can yeah yes, you can <laughs> okay <laughs> So it's that time where we're going to play some trivia. I'm nervous about this now that I know the topic. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I wish I could tell you not to be, but <laughs> we do have more beer. Um, yeah, true. yeah, that's true. You have some liquid courage to get through trivia. But uh, <laughs> as always, um, the team, everyone's on a team here. I think I'm the only one that's seen the questions and answers, so you're you not think. alone. Are you cheating in the booth? 
I'm always cheating in the booth. Are you kidding me? You <laughs> me that's, that's I guess you extra have to support. hit the correct answer buzzer. Yeah, so. I need to know everything. Okay. Everything. Okay. Okay. So, so we just shout out whenever. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Totally. So the theme today is St. Louis food and beer and history and things like that. I felt like that would be a nice little mixture of your both of your backgrounds. Okay. Question number one. St. Louis's Beer Barons Tour takes visitors and beer enthusiasts through St. Louis's brewing history by guiding them past the names Griesadiek, Faust, I don't know if I said that right, Harold, and of course, Anheuser and Bush. Where do you walk past these names? At what local landmark? Oh, gosh. I should know that. Um, <laughs> you're right. You should know that. Well, is it um, is it is it not at the Anheuser Busch Brewery? It's not. Oh. It's where all these names would be in the same place. Oh, at um, at a Busch Stadium? No. No. Oh, let's. Okay, I've here's. I've never a, been to St. Louis. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're I'm sorry. on the hook. I'm totally on the hook. Right. Here's a hint. Think think a little bit more morbid. Oh, mm. oh, it's in the it's cemetery. in the um, the cemetery, yes. the one, Bellefontaine Cemetery. Nailed it! Oh, Thank wow. you. That's it. That was a very good hint. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I learned that if I go to St. Louis, I'm doing this tour because you get to walk through the cemetery and hear their stories, and they give you beer while you do it. Whoa. Awesome! Crazy. Yeah, love it. So mark Sign that up. mark that on your list. When are we doing on tour? I know we're 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 trying to work on it. I really want to go and eat. Um, Eat at Vichia. Mm-hmm. And then also, is it Clementine? No. Yeah, Clementine's the ice cream place. The boozy ice cream place? Yes, boozy ice cream. Oh. St. Louisans love their booze. Mm. I bet yeah. true fact. I also yeah. just learned that they are called St. Louisans. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Just learned that right now. <laughs> right <laughs> yes. now. St. Louisans. And uh, they're redoing they're redoing the arch, right? So this is a good the arch time grounds. to go. Absolutely. Yeah, they just recently reopened. It's beautiful. Yeah. We got to go to St. Louis, guys. Is okay. Arch bigger now? No. <laughs> <laughs> two times. <laughs> okay, question number two. What cake was allegedly invented when a German baker. Gooey butter cake. Wow. Wait, wow. what's the wow. question? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so the story behind gooey butter cake, which, by the way, if you haven't had it, Oh super my sweet. gosh, it's super sweet. The story is that a saint, a, a baker from Germany, accidentally reversed the proportions of butter and flour, and so the cake came out very gooey. Bon Appetit just did a piece on it, and they called it ooey gooey cake, which isn't exactly right. Mm-hmm. But we're not gonna, you know, <laughs> nitpick. But um, but yes. Oh no, no, no! I am. It says on the sheet, also known as ooey gooey butter. But cake. nobody in Saint bon Louis calls it that. I, that's like the imposter name for it. And Clementine's has an ice cream that's gooey butter cake ice cream, and it is. Is there booze in it? Not that, that one's one. not. Because but it's, there could be. It's naughty and nice creamery, so there's some boozy ice cream, some not boozy, and that one is a non boozy, mm. but it's very good. It is tasty. And she, her ice cream is incredible. Um, okay, question number three St. Louis's newest craft brewery has something in common with us here at HRN. Rockwell Brewing Company opened at the end of November, and its entrance and kitchen are constructed out of what unique building materials? Recycled shipping containers. Hey! I knew that one. Now we really have to go there. (laughs) Good choice, guys. We approve. Right at home. Okay, question number four. You can find this sandwich at many Chinese restaurants in St. Louis. It consists of an egg foo young patty on white bread with lettuce, tomato, mayo, and pickles. What is it? St. Paul sandwich. Yes. Yes. Wow. Just let me know when you're getting tired. I know. I'll get off your back. I feel like this trivia is a little unfair to Aaron. 
Um, Eric, you're just, you're just gonna have to come visit, bring some of your. Yeah, yes. I like that. I like that. You, you can come on tour with us. Yeah, there we'll you plan go. it. Okay, question number five. The last question. During the early 20th century, iconic St. Louis brewer Anheuser-Busch produced a non-alcoholic malt beverage. The drink was first made in response to prohibition in the armed forces and later the entire U.S. What was the name of it? Oh, wow. A non-alcoholic malt beverage? Mm -hmm. It was called Not Good. (laughs) (laughs) Don't like it. Yeah. Is this like along the lines of like Moxie or something? Mm -hmm. I think so. Well... I don't know if that. I mean, I didn't think it would be Moxie, but I can't think of anything else. Yeah, but it's just sounds. Is it O'Duels? I mean, no. that's yeah. that's like you said. The way you said a beverage makes me think it's not like beer. Beverage is kind of a is hint. it? Oh wait, no. Is it Ovaltine? No, no. <laughs> malt, chocolate malt. I'll just tell you guys. This is, I think this is hard. This is hard because this is it. Probably they stopped probably producing it after prohibition when people were like, "We don't oh, wait, need." Yeah, like, can you not have it now? Because well, people it's used called, to have like malt shakes. Right? I've never That's heard of like it. It's called. Malted, yeah. It's called yeah. Bevo. What? Now. Sounds no. like it was something that died along with uh. Too hard. Nobody got that one. You should have got uh, that I one. That, that was my chance. <laughs> Repeal uh, well, day Kat, happened, I, and they were that like, was like among the most correct answers we've ever had. So yeah. Well, my gosh, if I didn't get those right, I, <laughs> I wouldn't be able out. to go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So if we come to St. Louis, if we all come and visit St. Louis, where should we go? Where should we eat? Oh my gosh! I mean, St. Louis is is it's a really fantastic food city. I mean, Vicia is definitely on the top of the list. Um. Uh, well, in Four Hands, which is in my neighborhood, is a great place to drink beer. Um, still 630 is a local um, craft spirit maker. They do some really, really interesting stuff. Uh, there's actually a place, uh, a restaurant that's, if you're looking for something more rarefied, that's called Savage, that um, is doing some really interesting, extremely kind of hyper-local um, forage ingredient stuff only 18 people kind of sitting around the kitchen which is neat but one of my favorite new places in st louis it's called louie and it is um it's you know um it's, it's, <laughs> that's my dog's name because <laughs> it's also st louis so it sounds like oh, oh it's louis. I, I get it um but it's uh matt mcguire's new restaurant and it's one of these places where you walk in and it feels like like a hug from the place that you're in and it's like the the menu is feels like it reads like straight up italian but everything that you eat is just perfect and that's what you you know and his wine list is really really interesting it's wines that you've never heard of from italy and it's wonderful really? mm-hmm. i was wondering if st louis is similar to places like atlanta or other places throughout kind of the southeast where it's hard to find like super interesting wine lists so that's really good to hear that Definitely. I mean, yeah. Missouri actually is home to a pretty historic wine industry. Missouri. That's right. Um, produces a lot yeah. of wine. Yeah. And the lot, the, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds, but um, the varieties that grow in Missouri are not viniferous. So they're not, you know, grape varieties that you're going to be familiar with. But the, um, the wine, you should, if you feel like tooling around in rural Missouri, if, you know, checking out all the wineries and breweries and distilleries, that's a pretty fun weekend. Let's go. I yeah. know you should come. We were just talking about a road trip today. So we were. maybe we'll have to drive right through. Yeah, fly into St. Louis and then drive through. There you go. I can Do give you, know you guys a list. if there are any Airstream rentals in St. Louis? <laughs> Oh, quite possibly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we, we might need to talk about this offline. Yeah, definitely. And my partner runs a B&B, so you could even stay, you know, 1880s house in the middle Heck of the yeah. city. This is yeah. sounding wow. better and wow. better. I know. This is, like, up there. <laughs> I'm pretty jazzed. We have some um, big trips coming up in 2019, but we 
we are really into this idea of sort of a potential Midwest. road trip, Midwest. a true HR nice. on tour situation, yeah. yeah, real tour. Let's do it. All right. Well, I think that's our show. Trivia, you guys won. Congratulations. Well done. <laughs> uh, thank you to Kat Neville and to Eric Schultz for joining us on HR and Happy Hour today. Thanks to our engineer, Matt Patterson. Thanks to Katie Mosman-Wadler and Hannah Forden. I like how Matt gets the most applause. Of course. Um, well, Kat, thanks to you. Thank you. And thanks to Roberta's for being the best landlord we could ask for in our shipping containers. Um, they have a new neon pizza sign. It's really, uh, really beautiful. Just um, And I, well, I kind of have the image uh, burned into my retinas now because I keep noticing it. It's pretty bright. So you should come here and sit in the atrium and check it out. It's also like decked out uh, with some festive holiday lighting so. and when you come get the bee sting yeah yes. it is awesome yes. can i also just say can i give like a shameless plug for Berta's? it's winter now so you might not think it's the best time to sit in the backyard or tiki bar but the tiki bar in the winter is the oh, best it's the coziest come to roberta's tiki bar yes. the view of the mountains is incredible you're right the voice of god back there like you can't see him he's speaking from the mountains yes yes <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, thank you, Matt from on high for uh, joining us today. And uh, we'll be back uh, sometime. In January. Dudes, see ya in this a while. This is our finale. In a while, crocodiles. Uh-huh. Um, until then, we wish you all the happiest of holidays. And uh, once again, thank you for being a supporter of Heritage Radio Network. Don't be a stranger. You can hit us any- up anytime, info at heritageradionetwork.org. And we all answer those emails. So if you want to talk to us... That's where to be. All right, everybody. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Happy everything. Bye. Next year, Heritage Radio Network is turning 10. For the last decade, we've been committed to bringing listeners around the world the very best in food radio, for free. Our small staff and incredible network of hosts work hard so that listeners can tune in each week to hear the important conversations in food policy, stay on the cutting edge of cocktail culture, and hear the latest updates in food tech. But there is no HRN without the support of listeners like you. Become a member of Heritage Radio Network today and help HRN get a strong start to our second decade. Choose from exclusive member gifts and stay in the loop on discounts to upcoming events. There's no better time to show your support. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate and wish HRN a happy birthday.